0: Hello, and welcome back to the Outdoor Minimalist Podcast. I'm your host, Meg Carney, an outdoor and environmental writer and author of the book, Outdoor Minimalist, Wasteless Hiking, Camping, and Backpacking. The Outdoor Minimalist Podcast has a goal to give listeners actionable ways to waste less hiking, camping, backpacking, and more during every step of their process. Your impact outdoors starts long before you hit the trail and goes beyond leave-no-trace ethics. You'll learn how to identify sustainable outdoor brands, How to ask hard questions regarding sustainability and begin to shift and evolve your mindset to integrate minimalism into all of your outdoor pursuits. In episode 72 of the Outdoor Minimalist podcast, we are talking about dead stock. For listeners that don't know, dead stock is a common part of the textile industry and it creates a lot of unfortunate waste. We've mentioned it here before on the show, but I had the pleasure of chatting with Nicole Wilson so she can put the extent of this problem into a little more perspective. Nicole is a fashion designer with over a decade of experience in the industry. She's always been an animal lover and proud rescue advocate and was inspired to create a sustainable business that would benefit both animals and the environment. In 2019, she launched Hudson Houndstooth a small batch pet brand specializing in stylish and functional accessories made from repurposed fabric sourced from the fashion industry that would otherwise go to the landfill. Before we get to the show, I want to say a huge thank you to Amanda, who's the last person to review the show on Apple Podcasts this last week. She wrote, for those interested in living a life with less waste and stuff and more intention and thoughtfulness, whether invested in outdoor pursuits or not, this podcast provides some great tips and resources to make small or big changes to your impact to the world around you. It means so, so much to me when people leave reviews and it's a great way to share your feedback with me as well as other listeners. Plus, it helps small shows like ours to make sure the right people find us. If you want to leave a review, head over to Apple Podcasts. And if you want to stay even more on top of what's happening with Outdoor Minimalist, you can subscribe to our weekly newsletter at theoutdoorminimalist.com or subscribe to our brand new YouTube channel. The link is in the show notes. Supercharge your dog's mealtime with Neobytes Functional Dog Food Toppers. Neobytes unlocks the unique power of Cricut Protein to promote firm poops, a thick and shiny coat, and everyday vitality for your pup. With a powder format, these toppers can easily be mixed into existing foods to make mealtime more exciting. Cricut, a hypoallergenic and humane protein, is not only a better option for your pup, but it's better for the planet too. Producing virtually no greenhouse gases and using fractions of the resources used by traditional proteins. Check out Neobytes products on Amazon and at eatneobytes.com. Use the discount code CRICKET15 for 15% off your next order. And then use the code Outdoor Minimalist for 10% off every order after that. Well, thank you for joining me today, Nicole. I'm excited to get into the topic of textiles. Again, this is a topic we talk a lot about on the show, but we haven't for a while. So I'm excited to get back into it. Before we get to all of that, one quick disclaimer is that I'm partially outside. This is for the listeners. So if you hear like birds and stuff, that's why. But before we get into the topic today, can you tell us a little bit about how you enjoy spending time outdoors in your current life and then maybe how you've integrated outdoor recreation in other places that you've lived before.
1: First of all, I just want to say thank you so much for having me on your show today. I'm really excited to talk about textiles, definitely something I'm super passionate about in terms of outdoor activities. I currently live in the New York City area, so I live in a bit of a concrete jungle. I love getting outside when I can with my dog, Ollie. He's a little chihuahua dachshund mix. I definitely wish that I could spend more time in green spaces. (laughs) I don't get to do a lot of it in New York City, especially because I don't drive, so it's very difficult sometimes for me to get outside. But I grew up in Canada, and I definitely, I just went to Canada to visit my family for the first time since the pandemic. And we definitely went for a fun hike, and it was great to sort of show my family that didn't think that Ollie was going to do well on a hike that little dogs can also absolutely spend time
0: doing the same thing as big dogs. That's awesome. Yeah, I love hiking with dogs. And there is actually an episode on the podcast called Small Dogs Hike 2. So just a reminder to all the listeners that small dogs enjoy getting outside just as much as big dogs. For sure. So when we are talking about textiles, I think it does help to have a little bit of your background because you already said that you this is something that you're passionate about. So what is your background in textiles and how does it fit into your career and what you do now?
1: Textiles has honestly been a huge part of my life from even when I was a little girl, both my mom and my grandmother were sewers and they would regularly make clothing for my sister and I. They did everything from like party dresses. They made my Halloween costumes as a kid. My sister and I were both competitive figure skaters. I would design and my mom would make our competition dresses. So I got really into designing from a really, really young age. I would, you know, pick out patterns that I wanted and I would go to the fabric stores with my mom to pick out fabrics. So I really got a knowledge from that. And then when I was nine, my mom taught me how to sew and I made my first pair of yoga pants that I would skate in. By high school, I was making my own clothes. And then in college, I actually went to the Fashion Institute of Technology in New York City, which is how I came from Canada to here for fashion design. And then I worked in the industry for a decade designing private label women's sleepwear for large department stores and big box stores. So yeah, I definitely have extensive knowledge on textiles from design perspective. After a decade, shortly before the pandemic, I decided to leave to start Hudson. In Houndstooth, which is a sustainable pet accessories brand.
0: That is quite the history. That's really, really cool that you started doing it at such a young age and that it's just kind of like something that has been carried through your family. So I love that. So in starting Hudson Houndstooth, which is how I first connected with you and I have one of your bandanas and they're wonderful. Thank you so much. What inspired that switch then from working in a larger industry and then starting your own business and then specifically a pet apparel business?
1: So believe it or not, despite the fact that I told you that I have a dog named Ollie, I actually started Hudson Youth before I had a dog. I've always been an lo- animal lover. Um, I grew up with cats and whatnot, but working in the fashion industry just didn't allow me the time to properly care for an animal. I was working crazy, crazy hours weekends and whatnot. And so what really motivated me was being inside the fashion industry and seeing just firsthand the sheer amount of waste that was created from this perpetual need of creating fast fashion and constantly having to create and push new products, seeing the exploitation of labor, having to squeeze factories for the lowest cost possible to compete with other fast fashion brands that were producing millions of garments and really only caring about profit margins the prevalence of greenwashing used in marketing you know behind the scenes they would really just their actions show that they don't care at all about anything other than profits but you know they would market all of these things to the consumer to make it seem like they cared And I just, I decided after being a contributing factor to the problem, I really wanted to be a part of the solution. So I decided to create Hudson Hounds Youth to basically utilize textile waste from the fashion industry and repurpose it into high quality um, pet accessories that would have otherwise gone to a landfill. And to also use the profits and benefit toward animals through donations to rescues and providing education, not only about textile waste, fast fashion industry, but also like the rescue and that aspect as well.
0: Awesome. I mean, there's so much to be said about textiles, (laughs) as you know, in terms of environmentalism and like the impact that it has. And then also how it's marketed to consumers. So I think it is really cool that you are like reframing this industry that has been such a big part of your life and kind of taking a new approach. Mm-hmm. So that's awesome. And out of curiosity, yeah, is Ollie a rescue? Because he seemed passionate about rescues. He is. Yeah. So
1: during the pandemic, when I finally had time that I didn't have from working in the fashion industry. Like I said, I worked insane hours. I mean, I've been at the office until one o'clock in the morning before and I've worked on weekends. And so I decided to start fostering initially because I thought I'll eventually have to re-enter the fashion industry and those are the crazy hours. And so I didn't think that I could have a dog permanently, but I started fostering and Ollie was my second foster and I just, I couldn't give him up, so I adopted him. And then at that point, I was also realizing I just decided to take Cousin to full-time and leave the industry so that I could make time for him. We've also continued fostering. Ollie has been a great rescue foster brother to lots of other fosters
0: since then too, so yeah. Oh, that's wonderful. Well, thanks for fostering. And I'm also that's really awesome that he could be kind of a part of your journey through forming Hudson Houndstooth and stuff like that. So you mentioned that a big reason that you formed this pet apparel company is because of the waste that is produced in textiles. And a lot of times I think that is called dead stock. But if you could, for listeners and also for me, because I don't fully know the full definition, could you kind of like explain what exactly that is? And then also you kind of already said this, but maybe like more in depth why you decided to go that route for a fabric or material. Yeah, for sure. Um, So dead stock usually
1: refers to leftover fabric from the industry that for one reason or another wasn't able to be sold. So either there could be maybe like a defect in the fabric during the manufacturing process. So it's not end up being usable by the company. Like if you're trying to do rainwear, let's say, and the fabric doesn't end up waterproof, then the company can't use it if they're trying to make a raincoat or, you know, maybe the fabric is pilling or something that and then another reason could be that the company overestimated how much fabric they need for production and so it has leftovers the other thing you have to be really careful about though is that mills because deadstock is kind of becoming popular are essentially making too much fabric on purpose and then knowing that they can sell it at a discount later. So Deadstock kind of has like the good and bad side of it. There is some greenwashing to Deadstock, unfortunately. Obviously, Mills, they have huge machines that make fabric. And so for them to produce more fabric that they know that they can sell later is more cost advantageous for them than making only what a company potentially orders and then shutting off the machines what i really use is true like design waste as opposed to dead stock companies could buy like sample yardage that they may or may not end up using if you produce your own fabrics or prints there's factories they send you what are called strike offs, which is a sample of the fabric to approve a print scale, the colors, the finish of the fabric. And often you go through several rounds of strike offs before you get to approval. And so, like, I would do that for my job as a designer in the industry. And we would hold on to these strike offs. And then, you know, after a year, once the garments are in the stores and whatnot, we would end up throwing all of that away. There's also fabric waste that just occurs in the cutting process during production. Something, I think it's a industry standards, like 15% of the textiles will end up on the cutting room floor. And just all of this waste ends up in a landfill. And so for me, I decided to try and use this fabric that would have otherwise end up being in the trash to make my designs because to me like there's creativity and finding these solutions to things that you know other people might not want to use and always always the most sustainable option is going to be using what already exists than making new so that's really why
0: Wow, yeah, that is crazy. I did not know that there was greenwashing within Deadstock, first of all. That's interesting. So, with the textile waste that you're using that's coming from like how they're cutting fabrics and stuff like that, would that have a different term to it than Deadstock? Or is it called something else, I guess?
1: I kind of refer to it as design waste, but I mean, I think that is truly dead stock versus what the greenwashing side of dead stock that they kind of can sometimes call dead stock is more like in stock fabric from mills where they just like have that fabric on hand that you can purchase and they just have like rebranded it as dead stock.
0: OK, so you kind of talked about how and why deadstock is created, but why isn't there a demand for using all of the materials? I mean, it makes sense, like if the color is wrong or like how you said if some of it is pilling and that just wouldn't really work for a certain design. But why is there such a push to be creating new fabric all of the time, you think, instead of using what already exists, like you said, is better? I think a lot of it comes from fast fashion, right? I mean, oh, less than
1: 100 years ago, when companies were designing, we, they were typically designing four collections a year, right? And for each of the seasons, which makes perfect sense. But with the internet, right, like you used to go to a fashion show, you'd have to go to the fashion show, take notes or like sketches and whatnot, and then travel from Europe where these fashion shows were taking place back to where you were. So it would slowly trickle down into mass fashion. But with the age of internet, you can get the fashion show instantaneously and all globally. It's not even just like Europe, it's everywhere in the world. And so fast fashion has really increased or rather crunch the time calendar of what you would design a year in advance. Now you're designing just a couple of months or weeks and fast fashion basically has gotten to a place where there's basically new collections coming out every week. So you've gone from four collections to 52 collections a year. And in order to do that, you need to push this narrative that you need the newest colors, the newest prints, the latest trending fabric, and so you just don't end up having space for it in the. Op- like we would keep fabric samples and whatnot for a year, and then we would end up having to throw it away just to make space because there's only so much space in our New York City office. And so it's just this constant need for new for no reason. And that's really the biggest driving factor, I would say.
0: Yeah, I guess what would people do about that? I mean, in the industry, it sounds like there just kind of need to be a shift. But also I'm thinking now about consumers, because a lot of times in sustainable circles, they talk about thrifting, but you're still inevitably buying fast fashion items. So you're purchasing them anyway. And so my question is, like, is that then also feeding in to what you were just explaining to? A little bit,
1: yeah. I think from a consumer side, the biggest things that we can do is sort of hold these big fashion companies accountable and urging government and politicians to fight for laws. Because the thing is, so like with thrifting and whatnot, I think 10% of what gets thrifted actually ends up, most of it ends up in the landfills because there's just too, too much. And we have statistics about how much textile waste consumers produce every year but we don't have the numbers for commercial waste because there's no regulations, little regulations, and little reporting requirements of these big companies. So they are free to just throw textiles away. I think the best estimate they have is that commercial waste is 40 times that of residential waste. So we have what in New York City, 6% of all waste is textiles, and it's something like 200 million tons a year. And so commercial textile waste is 40 times that. And that's just an estimate because there aren't those requirements. So getting people, consumers to push for these laws and regulations to be put in place to hold these companies accountable, to demand transparency from them will definitely help with that.
0: Yeah, those are some crazy numbers to think about. And like the sheer amount of waste in textiles. (laughs) That's crazy. Yeah, Because also, I mean, there are some certifications, like third party certifications, but none of them really have to deal with the amount of waste that is actually produced. It's more like the dyes that they're using or like how they're sourcing natural materials or maybe even like working conditions. So there really isn't anything even consumer facing that a company would be like, here's our stamp of approval that we aren't just throwing all of this fabric away. Exactly. Yeah. Crazy. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I'm just like a little shocked. I know. Okay. The numbers are mind
1: boggling. <laughs> like when you truly, truly start diving into it, like it's insane. I think the textile industry has honestly become I think they were third. They might even be second now is like the worst environmental industry behind oil. It's just crazy.
0: Yeah, I would believe that. I mean, I always knew it was bad, but I guess I didn't like envision it in the same way that you described it. So (sighs) disappointing. Mm -hmm. Okay. So back on track, I guess. Yeah. Less doom and gloom. (laughs) Yeah. Are there ways that companies and the fashion industry, textile, anywhere in textiles, because since this is an outdoor podcast, I mean, textiles are used in tents, backpacks, like tons of stuff. Are there ways that people producing these things can prevent dead stock from accumulating or even prevent generalized waste? So even like the design waste that you're talking about or how they're throwing out past seasons, etc. Yeah, I think it's
1: really being mindful in the design process like a simple thing of decreasing the amount of textile waste that ends up happening in the cutting process. I do it with Hudson Houndstooth where I actually save my scraps and then I utilize them to produce smaller things like I'll make hair bows or matching scrunchies for the human to wear that are using the scraps that aren't big enough to make like a dog bandana or a bow tie, but they're still usable. And then also just in the way you pattern your garments to be as low waist yielding as possible to really utilize as much of the fabric as possible that you are sourcing. And then also being mindful about choosing quality over quantity, right? Like just design what your consumer or your customer needs as opposed to just pushing, you know, a new print or color on them for the sake of doing it. Doing less, you know, fad colors and truly designing what your customer wants that they're gonna be able to use over and over as well as quality. Like I want to design a bag or a bandana or something with a level of quality that you can be able to have for years and years and years and maintain than something that's going to disintegrate in, you know, a couple of washes that's not sustainable. So yeah, I think it's really just truly being mindful about using what you have and only making what you need, as opposed to making more for the sake of making more.
0: Yeah, and I think that is kind of a hard mindset to kind of shift out of when we are such a capitalist consumer based economy. And like a lot of people that maybe are starting clothing brands or backpack brands, towel brands, whatever, like when you're starting out, it sounds like it would potentially be easier and more cost effective to kind of cut corners instead of having that really mindful production and design outright
1: yeah for sure and it's hard also to as a smaller brand right you probably can't make as many as obviously like zara and h&m who make millions of units right and Typically in fashion industry, which we struggled with for the department stores that I would design for, right, where the more of one thing that you can produce, the less expensive it is. In terms of fabric, if you can get creative to be able to use that same fabric for multiple items, as opposed to having to have, you know, a different fabric for every little thing can definitely help where you can, you know, make larger quantities of one fabric And sticking with that than it is to like constantly trying to do new and different. Cause then you run into issues with MOQs, minimum order quantities of fabrics from mills and whatnot. And then, you know, if you're only producing a small amount, you have to buy the minimum amount of fabric. So then you might end up with leftover fabric as well, right? So being able to figure out how to use that fabric and not let it go to waste will help you reduce your costs actually. So there are mindful ways of doing it. And then in terms of like the way I do it is when I'm using design waste, I'm using small quantities, I get a around. I don't have MLQ issues because I'm not producing new fabric. I'm using what already exists. Now there's the downside of that where I can't get large quantities of something. So when it sells out, I can't reorder that same one. So there's different issues that happen. So I think it forces smaller companies to be a lot more creative. But, you know, where creativity is, there's innovation. Right. So.
0: Yeah, yeah, for sure. And I think that it is kind of nice as a consumer, too, because there's a little bit more novelty in the items because you're like, they're not always going to be exactly the same. There's one clothing brand that was on a really, really early episode, like one of my first episodes. They're called Virgin Outdoor, and they're based in New England, so kind of close to you. Mm -hmm. But they also use deadstock, so like the colors of their clothes are always changing, like the design of like their sweaters and jackets and stuff is always the same, but the colors of the materials are always different. And I think that that is kind of fun. Totally, I completely agree. You kind of already talked about what happens if no one buys the dead stock, it kind of goes to a landfill. And you touched briefly on some of the benefits of it because it's not being thrown away, it's not being wasted. But in terms of benefits of using that leftover fabric versus a virgin material, what would some of those be?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, like you said, number one is that that it's saving these textiles from ending up in a landfill. And especially like today, I think something like 63% of all textiles is polyester, which is essentially plastic and takes hundreds of years to break down. So being able to like reuse polyester and synthetics that are gonna take a long time to break down and saving that from ending up in a landfill and just taking up space for years and years and years is definitely a benefit. But on top of that, it saves all of the energy resources and chemicals that are needed to produce virgin fabric, even cotton, like natural fibers that people kind of associate with sustainability when they're on such a huge scale, like fast fashion, it's not really the case. It takes 2,000 gallons of water to make enough fabric for just a single pair of jeans. And then on top of that, you know, there's dyeing and finishing textiles that pollute the water. And it's something like the textile industry is responsible for a fifth of all of the global wastewater that, you know, is occurring. And then on top of that, it takes pesticide use to maintain the cotton crops to produce cotton. And I think, again, the textile industry is 10 to 20 percent of all pesticide use, which that takes up space. It leaches into the soil. It causes health issues for people working on those farms in the agriculture industry. So, you know, there's there's all of that on top of it, just what goes into producing virgin fabric. So all of that is an added benefit. And then lastly, it reduces the demand for making new fabric and consuming on the textile side, right? Like as long as big fast fashion companies are gonna make millions and millions of garments, you've got textile mills that are gonna produce millions and millions of yards of new fabric. And so if you utilize what's already there, you're not feeding into that demand for more fabric. And so it's just like less all around. So definitely there are plenty of benefits for using textile waste on top of, you know, lower minimums for smaller designers and whatnot. So, yeah, there's tons of benefits to using truly dead stock.
0: And because you mentioned the natural fibers versus the synthetics like polyester and nylon and such, as a consumer, when you're shopping you can just kind of give your opinion here if you're looking with like an environmentally focused lens would it be more beneficial to buy something that is like made from dead stock but it might be synthetic versus something that is made from like flax linen
1: yeah for sure i mean again it comes down to the transparency of the brand if the brand is taking steps to properly use deadstock or making a closed loop with their fabric having it made out of synthetic i mean especially from like an outdoor perspective like technical fabrics like waterproofing for stuff has to be synthetic like there's not really a way to make natural fibers waterproof right like you're always going to have a need for them so it's really being mindful from that company of where are they getting their fabric from Are they producing ethically? If you are going to go natural, are they doing organic cotton versus just conventional cotton? Things like that. It really comes down to the company and their practices and them being transparent over what the fiber is, because there's going to be bad (laughs) environmentally friendly natural fibers just as much as synthetic
0: Yeah. And that's something that I think in a lot of the episodes we've talked about textiles is how important the transparency aspect is and like really basing a lot of decisions off of that. And I think because so much of our shopping is done online nowadays, it is a little bit easier to kind of narrow down the companies that are more transparent because you can pack so much information into a website. Absolutely. Yeah. So what other resources or I guess do you have any specific resources that you could share for people that want to learn more about dead stock or maybe some good companies that would be good references to see how they're using dead stock and how people can learn more about fast fashion textiles and all the wonderful things that we've talked about today.
1: Yeah, so the fabric where I get my fabric from is a nonprofit located in Brooklyn called Fab Scrap. And I think they're incredible. They partner with companies in the fashion industry who want to properly recycle their unwanted production waste design waste they're looking into ways where you know they'll take proprietary fabric you know they might have logos or something that can't be reused by designers like myself and they will properly recycle that turn it into shoddy which is essentially like insulation that can be used for pillows or insulation whatnot And then in terms of learning about fast fashion and textiles, there's a great documentary that I love called The True Cost. And it's really, really great talking about the fast fashion industry and just like supply chain, the impacts of fast fashion on the environment, and also like the human rights impact as well, and the exploitation of labor and just the health issues that are impacted by what is caused from the environment on the fast fashion industry. And then also, there's a really great episode of the Patriot Act by Simon Minaj on Netflix. And the episode is called The Ugly Truth of Fast Fashion. And again, it goes into an in-depth look at fast fashion industry practices, greenwashing and
0: how consumer habits really enable the fast fashion industry. Awesome. Yeah, I'll have to check out some of those. I haven't seen that documentary or that episode that you're talking about, but I love learning about textiles, so I feel like it would be amazing.
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: Cool. So I'll be sure to share the links to all of those things and other resources that are relevant to this topic and discussion. But with that, how can listeners learn more about you and the work that you are doing?
1: The best place to visit is my website, which is youth.com On there, I've got a lot of information about my story, my design process of using textile waste as well as my social missions for helping rescue animals through donation of products and donations to local rescues. You can also follow me on Instagram and TikTok at Hudson Houndstooth. I try really hard to share information not only on the negative impacts on fast fashion and textile waste, I also showed behind the scenes of my design process, how I use the textile waste, and also just information surrounding rescue and sustainability as a pet parent as well. And then lastly, you can sign up for my newsletter on our website where I also share a lot of that same information as well.
0: Oh, awesome. Yes, I'll be sure to link to all of those things as well and subscribe to your newsletter because I didn't know you had one, but I would love to learn more about that stuff. So thank you so much for taking the time to be on the show and to explain all of that information.
1: Yeah, thank you so much for having me. I really enjoyed this.
0: Thanks for listening. And if you like what you hear, let me know. Leave a review and be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. You can find us on Instagram at outdoor.minimalist.book or subscribe to our weekly newsletter at theoutdoorminimalist.com for even more updates, educational resources, and to help build an outdoor community with a shared goal to create a better outdoor space as we recreate.